They created an entire subspecies of people whose only job is to shop? I mean, mood, but like- Waiting for a break in the rain Waiting for the moment to change your lane I came home from the wasteland Heroic and triumphant like a comic book girl Created out of nothing like a comic book girl Hey! We should probably introduce ourselves, especially considering that we've got a person from outside our usual cadre of people who has elected to show up and we're so happy to have you yeah see parker i was just waiting for you to do that because you actually like people i do i'm excited good for you i love uh people and potential extra credit work you see you always say that but you never actually look anything up you don't know what i've been uh-huh. sending to professor uh-huh. leon you don't uh-huh. you don't see right. my email inbox you don't see that anyway hey guess what it's parker renevere and i'm climbing that six month wall like it's just another day at the rock gym i use she her i'm cassandra kelly i also use she her pronouns i think i got exposed to the dripping today so that oh good. god oh no yeah that's no good yep cheapers anyway who's this mystery new third person mysterious stranger hi i am alan and I, uh, I just remembered that this class was on my schedule this morning. Nice. Well, welcome. What are you burn I mean, hey, like the whole class structure is basically just like show up to one discussion and you pass the class because Professor Leon's chill, so. That's good news. The rest of my schedule is likely to be less forgiving. Yeah. What, uh, what are you in? What's your field? Give me a second. Oh, I finally declared my major. Oh, you did? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and major in disability studies. Nice. I actually I'm not in any disability studies classes this semester because I'm stupid. So you gonna jump in on that Zeno that sort of comparative disability studies thing that you talked about? I after I accidentally made the argument that host bodies are assistive tech, I decided I didn't want to do that because <laughs> that was really weird. That was a really weird thing for me. Like I. Okay, but the thing, I do sort of, I get where I was going with that. I'm glad you do. But it, it's like gnarly. It's a, it's a, it's a gnarly, are Yerks disabled? Let's not talk about it again. <laughs> that introduces a lot of really interesting questions about, like, disability augmentation and transhumanism. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? Right? But then also it just devolved into me badly defining models of disability because I took one class in my first semester and totally forgot how everything works. And then also led to me saying this slightly cursed sentence, are host bodies assistive tech? Which I'm sure would raise a few hackles if you presented a paper. Uh, but I did learn uh, a good amount about disability studies from that, uh, that primer that you gave us. You're welcome. What's, what's your uh, field of study, Alan? I don't remember. You know... It'd be like that sometimes. It'd just be like that. Are yeah. you, like, it, you might have a couple more years, who knows? You should probably, I don't know. If you're not 100% sure what you're, you're in, you're, you might be fine, you know? Well, we're happy to have you with us. So yeah, today we are discussing, let me go over. Volume 26, The Attack? I was going to do the summary, though. I know, I was just saying today we're talking about Volume 26, The Attack, narrated by Jake. Okay. Turning into a sick tiger on the cover. No, stop, 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 stop. Okay. It's not, my he's not actually ill. He's just, that, that, that's a, it's a, 
It's a part figure of speech. Personally, I am a sick tiger. So the book opens with Jake displaying some spicy little PTSD symptoms and having a nightmare about the Yerk who died in his brain. Anyone else remember that? Because that was messed up. Mm -hmm. um, and then the Eye of Sauron shows up. Later, when the okay, watching, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna explain. I'm gonna explain. It. I just wanted to make the joke. <sighs> okay. So later, when the Animorphs are watching my favorite musical, the Elemist or whatever shows up and says that he needs their help as part of his back and forth game with his evil counterpart Krayak, who looks like the Eye of Sauron. After some debate, you could they just decide say Krayak. People know who Krayak is. But the Eye of Sauron thing was funny, okay. and they like Lord of the Rings. Keep going. Um, so after some debate, they decide to help, and they are yeeted with Eric to the world of the Escort to fight a team of Howlers. Yep. A.K.A. those guys you might remember from the Pemelite genocide. And then I think something about, like, the fate of the Escorts hangs in the balance or whatever. The Escorts are super capitalist, and also, as it turns out, they are actually a symbiotic fusion of the Isk and the Yort species. The Yort are noticeably similar to the Yerks. This is why Krayak wants to keep them secret slash destroy them. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because if the Yerks find them, we'll know that there's another way to exist besides parasitism. Anyway, the Howlers are really strong fighters and everyone gets uh, gruesomely injured a bunch and they almost die. The Animorphs find out that the Howlers have a collective memory and that all of the memories that the Escort have bought from the Howlers, because that's a thing that the Escort do, show the Howlers winning all of their battles. Jake manages to kill one Howler and acquire it before its death. He and Cassie also kiss, which was cute. When Jake morphs the Howler, he realizes that the Howlers are basically like children who think that all their battles are a game. He also realizes that the fact that their memories only show them winning means that Krayak is getting rid of any Howlers who lose and keeping them out of the collective memory. When the Animorphs confront the Howlers again, Jake feels bad about fighting them because he's, they're basically children. But he decides to get them all killed anyway because he loves war crimes. He eventually uploads okay. all of his memory. <laughs> he eventually uploads all of his memories to them so that they realize that their victims are real people. But then this means that Krayak deletes that Howler team like from existence so that they won't pass this on to the other Howlers. However, somehow the one memory that makes it through that is the memory of Jake and Cassie kissing. And the Elemis tells them, once they go back to Earth, that the next time the Howlers are sent on a mission, they will start trying to kiss their targets, which renders them useless as weapons, which probably means that they're all going to get killed by Krayak. Good job, Jake. Is a person accountable for war crimes that they goad their opponent into committing? I mean, I feel like if he's, he's good question. doing this stuff with the knowledge of what the consequences will be, mm. knowing that they are children, knowing that this is what will happen because he does figure it out. Mm. Also, I just love to rag on Jake. You gotta also wonder about... Alan, you're a chi, right? So, like, I, I, I want to cede the floor to you on a lot of the discussion of the Howlers and what happened to them, because, I mean, you, you more than any of us have a degree of cultural background with the Howlers that, that I, as a human person, do not, so I want to I wanna cede most of that sort of to you. The way that the Howlers are, though, to me, does raise some interesting questions about personhood and whether or not they possess it. Curious to hear other thoughts on that. Considering, like, collective memory, sort of, like, that generation... We don't see any sort of, like, differentiation between the sort of, like, operations of 
each individual howler in the time that Jake is one and mm. that we sort of like see the way that they communicate. I don't know. Well, well, no, because because Jake, I think when he has killed the one howler and morphed it. And he doesn't, we don't know it's dead. Plan, he's, okay, whatever. As part of the plan, he's like distracting them. He, I think, is sort of framing himself as their leader. I think that they do have a distinct leader in the group. They've got like a hierarchical structure, but that could also be like not something that they sort of organically came up with. That could be uh, part of their their sort of like pre uh, pre decanting sort of conditioning by Krayak. That could also just be that Jake is personally conditioned to act like a leader and so reflexively does so, and a group of non-hierarchically organized uh, agents might respond to that expression of authority with the assumption that an expression of authority under crisis is legitimate unless there's a good reason to think otherwise. What's that thing called, like the Bavarian fire drill or whatever, where if you like pull a fire alarm and look like you know what you're doing, people will like let you in or something like that? I thought a Bavarian fire rule was when you stop a car and everybody gets out of the car and gets into different seats while you're still in the middle of the road. That is also what I thought it was. Really? Okay, maybe I'm getting this mixed up with something else. Never mind. I'm trying to fit the, find the bit where uh, where Jake sort of like assumes a howler guys and addresses the well, other howler howlers. Howler girls, you don't know. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, thank you. I'll be here all night. Better to do it. We definitely don't get any sort of insights on the way that howlers do gender. Um, so that that is right out as far as I'm concerned. It's later in the books. It's around chapter 20. It's pretty far. It's close to the end. Four or something. Forget them this way. Their leader over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's on page 59 of the of the digital document. Oh, wait, or is he saying that the leader of the Animorphs is over there? And I He's saying the leader of the Animorphs is over there. He's not saying that Whoops. he's the leader. So he's not actually implying anything about a hierarchical structure as far as we can understand it. My bad, I misread that. It's an interesting concept, though, uh, about the sort of the, the way that they view the structure of a group. They do follow him, though. They do, like, listen to what he's saying and go follow him. Well, yeah, because if you're if you're a child and your friend is like, oh, hey, look, these, these people that we're chasing in our fun game of tag, they went over here. Like, or the, 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 the important person, the person who has the flag in our CTF game that we're playing, uh, they went over there, then you're, you're going to be like, okay, let's go get them. What's that expression in matters of bootmaking refer to the bootmaker? I have never heard that before, but probably. I'm afraid that all I can bring in terms of cultural context is the knowledge that, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that, the inference that based on as far back as my memory problems go, they seem to start right around time for the howlers to have caused them. Hmm. I see. I don't actually remember anything about that, but there's there's a line of difference between no memory and bad memory. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, we could definitely sort of draw upon what you do know and what you do remember uh, and what we perceive from this book to sort of draw some inferences that I think are reasonable for us as history students to be making, if nothing else. I mean, it's not like this is like, it's not like we're... We're publishing a thing here. We're just this is just class discussion. I did find a bit right uh, right here where if we're talking about Jake and the way that he sort of exerts his authority on page thirty five on chapter fourteen, the very end of the chapter, he does sort of assert his authority with Axe. He says, "Ask Axemili Eskaruth Eastil, you call me Prince and you act like you mean it, and I am giving you a direct order. Morph, do it now." I loved that. I was like, "Thank you, Jake." Yeah, this is something that Jake says to break Axe out of his sort of like. 
I don't want to say self-imposed funk, but it is a self-imposed funk about the fact that Axe is ashamed of having committed an action that he sees in retrospect as cowardly. And he is uh, beating himself up about it, and Jake is like, hey, we don't have time for that. You need to do what I'm telling you to do, and you need to do it now, otherwise we're going to die. It is a very interesting human phenomenon that Jake expresses, that he switches fluently from holding to a personal conviction that he is not uh, uh, Axe's prince and um, leveraging the power that that princehood confers. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just saying, it does kind of make sense that if you're like, I'm not your prince, I'm not your prince, I'm not your prince, but the person keeps saying that they're, you're their prince and they keep like treating you, he's like, okay, fine, fine, I am, so do what I'm telling you. Right, but you would think that would be a hard shift. I would have thought that that would be a hard shift, like if you were choosing to discontinue that function of not being the prince, then afterwards you would adopt the responsibility and identity of being that person's prince. But later, Jake again refuses to be addressed as prince, and then later still continues to leverage the the authority of princehood. Super goofy, yeah. I mean, because actually I'm thinking like from personal experience... As Parker may have noticed, I am often the person who tends to declare myself in charge of group projects. Whenever I do sort of, like, become the leader of a group, like, for a class project or, like, for an extracurricular project, I'm never like, oh, this is easy, I'm just gonna do it right away. It's more of a, like, grimly rolling up my sleeves. Well, someone's gotta do this and no one else is, so... You never want to do extra work, but when work needs to be done, you're like, well, I'm going to be in charge. Basically, yeah. Right, but you're not also denying being in charge. This is true. Well, sometimes I do if I think it'll get people to, like, do the project, because I think that they'll be resentful if I act like I'm in charge. So I'm just like, well, maybe we could do this. What do you think? You know, Trying to plant ideas in other people's heads. Yeah. I think in this particular case, uh, I think that... I personally could chalk this up to if there's one thing that you can predict about a teenager is that they're going to act unpredictably. <laughs> Valid. I definitely wasn't expecting the budding tension between Cassie and Jake to sort of resolve itself in a way that was meaningful in this book, but it resolve it did. And we are on the road to them having to talk about their feelings and stuff more than they were before, which was not very much. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say it's resolved. It's unavoidable now. You know, it's a thing. They've made it a thing. They kissed in front of everyone. And then Marco makes some cute jokes. Yes. No, can I just, can we just, the tiniest Marco's masculinity corner. And his name is John Cena! Actually, just the Marco is so queer. Um, what? No kiss for me? Marco! It's a good joke. Just admit, it's like when we were, we were talking about how, like, uh, someone said that, like, one of their friends says that there's no such thing as a joke or whatever because it's always, like, actually saying something serious. Marco! Marco, we know you kind of want to kiss Jake a little bit. It's okay to be gay, Marco. Haha, <laughs> JK, bro. Unless? <laughs> I think Jake also mentioned finding Axe's human form weirdly attractive yeah, at some point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this has been, I don't know if you've read any of the other Animorphs journals before, but this is an ongoing thing that everyone is attracted to Axe's human form and is uncomfortable about. Everyone is attracted to Philip from out of state. <laughs> I also don't know if I've read any of the other journals before. Here's the Alan, I don't know how much you know about, like, 
quantum mechanics and the baseline structure of the universe, but Jacob Animorph proves string theory in chapter four, right? With his sort of like, <laughs> with his dip into Z-space. He says while the Elemist is sort of taking him into the sort of guts of the universe, uh, he says, I saw what seemed like threads, mm, threads that could curl back inside themselves, disappear and reappear, twist and ravel and braid in insane complication. Based on my understanding of string theory, that's not exactly how sort of like string theory is postulated. It's more like vibrations rather than like knots and stuff, but maybe there's something else. Good vibes. I don't know. Does he just prove string theory here that the universe is made up of tiny threads? Sort of subatomic so particles? That's in chapter four? That's in chapter four, yes. Once again, I floated in that eerie and dimensional space, the space beyond where inside and outside were meaningless terms. Where I saw the back as easy as the front, the heart of things as easy as the surface, the core of planets as easily as the crust. I saw what seems like threads, mm, threads that could crusty. curl back inside themselves, disappear and reappear, twist and ravel and braid in insane complication. It does sound like a description of string theory as I understand it, and n-dimensional space does sound like a direct reference to the idea of uh, physical dimensions beyond those of space and time. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether what Jake is describing is an accurate representation of reality or if it's what the Elemist does to people's minds to be impressive. Oh. Yeah, showboating. Maybe it's just how his puny mortal brain chooses to comprehend Quantum showboating. I like that. (laughs) Quantum showboating is my new band name. Maybe that's just like what extra, like, ultra-powerful beings do to humans to make them feel a sense of the numinous, mm. which would explain why so many humans have converged on that understanding of the basic nature of reality. Oh. In hmm. spite of the absence of evidence. Yeah. Yeah, that could be. I like that. I don't know. Everything I know about quantum physics I learned from reading, like, trashy techno-thrillers from the early <laughs> aughts, but... Mood. The main thing that I know about quantum physics is that higher dimensions are metaphorical. I will take your word for it. So, and it's interesting because Jake explicitly mentions n-dimensional space in lieu of z-space, which is something that we already know exists, but is, like, patently different from what we're experiencing now through his narration. Yeah, I was thinking when you said z-space, this doesn't, this doesn't sound like z-space at all. Because he also experiences, or some, like, the, the folks who are in z-space also experience a sort of, like, fourth-dimensional understanding of space in that they, like, they can sort of, like, pass through 3D objects and they can see the inside and outside of a 3D object at the same time, uh, which reads to, which read to be very much like a fourth-dimensional thing, but this is, like, beyond that. I can see the inside and outside of a 3D object at the same time, too. It's called opening a box. (laughs) But it's like if you cross-sectioned the box and then, like... It's like if you had two of the same kind of sensory organ in different places and you had them positioned in different spots yeah okay i fair and reasonable but i did just really want to make that joke because i thought of it and i thought it was funny oh yeah no i agree i'm i am making the same joke you have two eyes and you could just position a box between them like there's like there's nothing about uh, there's nothing i understand about human brains that suggests that they wouldn't be able to process sensory input from two different perspectives at the same time (laughs) oh yes if String theory is what's being talked about here. Uh, the sort of subsequent statement by the Elemist, I'm, I'm actually also curious, Cassandra, how your whole the Elemist doesn't exist theory uh, sort up. of dovetails with this, but we'll get to that in a sec. I forgot <coughs> about this journal. You forgot about this journal? 
I forgot about this journal. So this journal single-handedly detonates this, like, wacky no, theory that you've I, had since, like, no, book eight? I'm, just, I'm still thinking. I'm still thinking. Oh, my God. I am formulating. That's why it's called a theory. I'm not even, I'm formulating a hypothesis. Okay, regardless, this I'm isn't one I was trying to bring scientific up. scientific method. This is ridiculous. You using the scientific method, Miss Conspiracy, over here? Hey, hey. If we are to take this to mean that string theory is a valid interpretation of the way that the wor universe works on a quantum level, then what the Elemist says about Krayak sort of losing control of the few threads that he had gathered to him are uh, the Elemist's exact words. So, like, the idea that Krayak has, like, complete control over some of these sort of, like, subatomic strands, and which I I'm pretty sure would give him the ability to just, like, manipulate matter on a uh, most fundamental Krayak level, has... right? Which would allow him to do something Krayak... like create the Howlers. <laughs> Krayak has control over only the strings for protons, nothing else. Only protons. You could still do a lot of damage with that. <laughs> I know, I know. Have you ever read uh, Cixin Lu's Ball Lightning? I think it's protons in that one. No, I'm not. Well, it's a weird book. I'm not necessarily recommending it, but it involves giant subatomic particles. Cool. There is rather a lot about this book that does suggest that the elements doesn't exist. Thank Ooh. you. Thank you, Alan. Oh, yeah. Take that, Parker. T tell me more. Tell me more. It would require that Jake is also blatantly lying for this whole oh, book. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> of course he is. Of course he is. Take that as a given. Take that as a given. Okay, so well, we have... But it's been a hundred years that this book has existed. And yeah. how long has it been public knowledge? Like, I don't know. I think they were published for the first time in maybe like the 2010s-ish or something. So here's my question. Your question. Why did the Elemist predict that it would take 300 years for the Yerks to encounter the Yurts and right, discover right. the existence of an additional way if these books were published in a place that the Yerks could read them 10 years later. I was thinking about this. Good question. My... Ha, 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 explain that, Parker. Okay, well, here, so Jake... This journal contains no information that the Yerks could use to navigate to... Um, to Escordian space. But the Yorts figured out how to make a symbiote race on their own, so why couldn't the Yerks do that? And why aren't they? Yeah, because it still hasn't happened as far as I know. I mean, are the remaining Yerks interested at all in sort of walking this same... It's not really an evolutionary path, because it's, it's, it's engineered. Trans-Yerk. Super-evolutionary Trans path. Trans-Yerk. Uh, yeah, a little trans 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 -yerk. um trans -yerkism. trans -yerkism. I'm getting a little bit too far in the hypothetical weeds to sort of, like, feel grounded in any answer that I might give you and feel like I am confident in it, and I'm worried that a horse from a hibachi restaurant is going to jump out at me at any point, with it, given that I'm in the hypothetical weeds. I love on page 14 when Tobias says, why would the Elevist ask for help from this cloud college? Referring to the Edomorphs as a cloud, as a cloud college, which I, I loved. It's just funny. I don't know. Uh, Tobias is hilarious. Imagine, imagine all of them in a tiny VW bug. Would it be a tiny dorm? It's like, you know, when you go to, like, a gas station at 2 a.m. because you really want, like, blue Gatorade and flaming hot Cheetos or whatever. Right, and you've had a tab of acid and you see the clown over by the ice cream. Yeah. I'm sorry, that's probably also not something we should talk about. <laughs> I mean, if I remember anything about the 90s well enough, regular college students piled into cars like clowns. Okay, See? okay. See? Context. Alan's got my back. Should we get into Iscordian economics? Oh my god. 
Uh, they created an entire race of people who's- well, not race, like, subspecies of people whose only job is to shop? I mean, mood, but, like, also- Someone must buy what is created in the great factories and small craftworks, Guide said. Exactly, Rachel agreed. The economy cannot function without people to buy things. It's like- Yes, you're, right, you're correct. But did you have to like manufacture those people. Okay, so wait, are the factories? No, the factories are not fully automated, so they're still operate. So like Marx's theory of labor still applies, wherein labor is the thing that gives commodities their value. Oh god! And in fact, that actually holds over into the memory transplant into the memory market as well, because like that's why they don't use the elevators. Wait, are they capitalists? We know they're market-based, but do we have any sense that they organize around a notion of private property? This could all be collectively owned. Oh, you know, this is That's not a good this point. is not a distinction that I made. Okay. Hmm. Well, you do have owners of things. Uh, guide the yeah, escort. They, they like rent a room. Yeah, guide the uh, the the escort who uh, is their guide. Um, by the end of it, the Elvis says the guide has become very very wealthy independently off of the memories and such that the other animorphs sell. Right, but there are economic systems other than capitalism wherein wealth continues to exist. Continues. Um, feudalism is an obvious example. Sure. <laughs> Sir Iscourt. And there is clearly a very rigid caste system among the Iscourt. Yeah, down to the point where they've, again, with their their sort of genetic engineering tools, uh, specialized their bodies, uh, you know, with, with the, what is the war maker escort? Yeah. Very much like the caste system of 19th, 20th, and 21st century America. Yeah? In that humans are sorted based on physical characteristics into different Oh castes. dear. Oh yeah. Oh dear. I mean, also bear in mind that we're seeing them through the lens of Jake writing about them, and Jake grew up in, like, a capitalist society, so he's also bringing his own, like, assumptions about any market-based economic system must be capitalism and must work like what I'm used to into it. Right, which is why we have to rely upon his memory of the things that Guide and says of course, specifically. as we know, I don't trust Jake. Alan, I'm looking for characteristics of their economic system, but can you, can you remind me the difference between capitalism and other sort of market-based systems? Like, what are we looking for here that distinguishes it, that would distinguish it as capitalism? So capitalism as a function of liberalism generally is understood to fundamentally be organized around individual property ownership as the basic structure of governance. Mm -hmm. hmm. So, 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 so. Um, there's a question, like, the difference between a capitalist and a feudal economy around the modern human era, 16th to 19th century, would be a feudal state is one in which while individual wealthy people may be charged with custody and use of a piece of territory, fundamentally it belongs to the monarch. Mm -hmm. Whereas in a capitalist state, the landowner is essentially monarch and is uh, federated into a relationship with the government, but is not subordinate to that government. Mm -hmm. We don't see a distinction between the owners of... The well, we don't see any sort of like overarching government structure so yes, are they I think so they are basically can't answer the question of what their economic system is in the context of how property ownership is handled because there could be a class of iskurt who are just just, just the owners that would suggest a more feudal system true alternately it could be the case that any iskurt can be an owner 
and that would suggest the possibility of capitalism and the capacity to move towards socialist, communist, or anarchist systems. I don't know if there's anything new to say here, but Jake Jake does not have a sort of healthy view of himself as the leader of this little band of brigands of our savior teens. He's he's sort of trying to grapple with the fact that Cassie's injured and he has to leave her behind, and he, he tells himself, no choice, Jake, you can't help, you can only hurt. All of them are, like, uh, I don't know. They haven't had a normal teen experience to, like, recognize the positive and negative aspects of responsibility. And that has caused at least Jake to, and definitely also Cassie, to sort of think of responsibility as being bad universally. Well, Jake has a dog. You have to be kind of responsible for a dog. Jake's parents have a dog. Jake also did let Homer get skunked, so... I don't know if there's anything new to be said. He has to say, he says, have to help the others. That's your duty. Help them. You can't help Cassie anymore. There's also a part of it that I wonder to, given that we've been hearing this from him for a good number of journals, like how much of this is him just kind of self-flagellating at this point? Past the point where it's useful for him to sort of be like, oh man, this is, uh, this sure is bad, but it sure is what I have to do. He's like, oh, I'm making a choice to make myself feel bad. I think I read this differently than you guys did. Oh. Mm-hmm. Go off. I interpreted that line as saying, I mean, there are definitely cases where the expression of responsibility is such that people feel motivated to get involved, feel like they need they need to feel like they are doing something. Mm-hmm. But anything they actually did to interact with the situation would tend to make that situation worse. And so the 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 higher expression of responsibility and like thoughtfulness about like the right way to engage with that situation can be to decide to do nothing. I thought that was Jake arguing with himself that feeling like he was doing something was less important than giving Cassie the best chance of surviving. If you consider his actions, that makes sense. But I I wonder how that, uh, I wonder how that idea that he expresses that he's responsible for doing the harm that needs to be done or that like, you know, somebody has to make the, the like the hard choices. I don't know. I guess I, 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 I think you guys remember more than I do about the other journals too. So yeah. Or my brain is stuck on a distinction between doing nothing and doing harm, wherein harm is like an active choice that is made and is like, like a real verb. Whereas doing nothing is just kind of allowing things to pass by. I don't think that that's necessarily a useful distinction though, that my brain is making. I read, you can't uh, help. You can only hurt as saying, if you try to do something, the only thing you will accomplish is hurting, so you shouldn't do something. Oh! I think maybe that line makes a lot more sense if you read it that way. Mm-hmm. It also sounds less like a teenage human, though. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, they are, like, more mature in some ways, because they've been dealing with so much. So why don't they have guardrails? Why, do they, why don't they have guardrails? Right? This is an OSHA violation! It still seems like they're susceptible to gravity. I guess if you don't have a regulatory body, maybe the fact that there aren't any guardrails hints towards the fact that there's no regulatory body here. Mmm, I see. But you would think that somebody could make money selling guardrails. Yeah. Maybe you've got yeah. your, your little baby escort who they, they don't know not to go over there, and maybe you could make some money off that, but there's just nothing. I think it maybe suggests something about the uniformity of the escort that distinguishes them from humans, Mm -hmm. that the idea that it might be likely that a person would walk off a platform like that just may not occur to their architects. Yeah. Or it may also suggest uh, the the, the mercenary nature of a capitalist society wherein any additional use of material needs to be justified in terms of like what it gains the property owner 
and the value of the lives of the people interacting with that material isn't considered. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or is considered and it's just not considered as valuable. It also raises questions about the sensory capabilities of the escort and like whether or not they have sort of like a heightened sort of sense of like, oh yeah, there's a death trap over there. Which actually makes me wonder if I've been reading this wrong. Are they also like the howlers in that they are sort of like generated rather than like they don't go through like a, a, like a normal biological process to generate more escort? I was not clear. I had the impression that they were manufactured in some way. We do also know that they have organized labor. Oh, they do! The Worker Guild refuses to come back to work here until the Superstition and Magic Guild certifies that this place is free of spirits and fictional characters. Chapter 22. Oh, man. Strike, 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 strike. The Isk were not created by the Yort. They were, or they were, were not conquered by the Yort. They were created. The Isk were not conquered by the Yort, they were created. Parasitism is a limiting choice. The Yort moved violently to conquer other species and invest them, but it was not profitable. Well, that doesn't point to a capitalist mode of production. So the Yort used biological engineering techniques to design and create a species specifically to be a symbiote. So they're GMOs. Yes, and I think we can reasonably infer capitalism from what you said, the mode of production. The supremacy of a profit motive above all other motives is a frequent consequence of capitalist modes of production does not emerge in is feudal or communist modes of production. Okay, so like a profit motive and the profit motive above all else would imply a capitalist mode of production, but what they say on page 42, or would imply capitalism, but what they say on page 42 up at the top is, uh, you know, the, the York move violently to conquer other species and infest, but, the, but that was not profitable. Maybe I'm thinking from like a relatively limited sort of Earth view of these political systems, but I can't think of a period of time in Earth history in which capitalism's sort of like one of the main ways that capitalism accrued wealth was not through conquest and violence. Like, war is incredibly profitable on Earth, like, and has been for as long as I am, have been aware of political history. That, to me, points to something that isn't just, like, straight-up capitalism as we understand it. You're not wrong in terms of the history of capitalism on this planet, but the research consumption of 20th century imperial capitalism did lead to a catastrophic threat to global climate. True. Which, which you could interpret as not profitable in the long term. Hmm. On the other hand, is that why the planet of the Iskurt is uninhabitable on the surface level? That could be. I thought it was, like, maybe a gas giant. You know, maybe they didn't build up. Maybe they mined down and the surface that remains is just the material they haven't used up of the planet yet yikes i really i mean if they're mining in a swamp i can only imagine that there's some degree of sort of like exploitation going on there because i can't imagine anybody voluntarily wanting to mine in a swamp what i'm suggesting is maybe the buildings that the, the, the uh escort live in are where the surface used to be oh what if the lower level factories used to be underground factories. Oh, that's... Oh, I don't like that. They're exfoliating. It gives the lousy anarcho-primitivist in me the, the willies to consider that possibility. I love it when the anarcho-primitivist in you gets the willies. I mean, as somebody who's emphatically not an anarcho-primitivist, I uh, also agree that it would be bad to mine out the planet. <laughs> no one uses fax machines, but call you'll hear the noise. Statues left by ancient Greeks, the perfect cheeks of goddesses and boys. Piled in the closet.
King musical. I also have a funny story about the Lion King musical. All right. Do, do, do you want to go first or shall we, should we do, do, do you want to do mine? My, my funny story is just that I used a guy for tickets to the Lion King musical when I was like 13. Nice. <laughs> I felt kind of bad about it. He was like a sweet dude, but I was like, yeah, I'm just going with you to the musical because it's my favorite musical. Mine was my dad took a group from the school that he was teaching at to like a hollow performance of the Lion King musical and everything was great. And then the press release that got sent out to the the people who went to that school mentioned that they had gone to see the Loin King. <laughs> and no. he got some very concerned uh, calls from some very concerned private school parents. The Loin King. I think the Loin King is just Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> we get a confirmation that uh, the Elemist and Krayak are playing this massive game that the Animorphs are just pawns in. Don't like that. Good thing they're fake. I don't think you could just say that. I really I don't think you could just say that. Thing I want to say. Gonna... This is a free country. Well, this is a most. Mm, this is a moderately free country, and I can say whatever I want so far. This is a country Mostly. where you don't get arrested well, for saying conspiracy theories. Well, no, it's fine. I'm waiting to hear back from Professor Leone about about debate club and whether debate or not we can set club. one up in the context of this class because I don't no. think you're right about this, but I'm right. I don't think it's worth spending the entire class discussion going over it again because we've talked about it before. Yeah, I mean, a lot of my notes are just, like, random little things, like, oh, worm, PTSD is my first note, uh, talking about I Jake. don't I was know also what a that means. Surprised. You don't need to. Um, I was also a little surprised that they are still in middle school, because I thought enough time had passed that they would be in high school by now. So that was just interesting, because I, I would think that they would be, like, 14 at this point, and, like, in their first year. This is one of the major historical documents of the past, like, 100,000 years that flagrantly ignores the sort of invention that if you're trying to create a record of what's going on, you should include some record of how the time passes. Yeah. If you're trying to create a record of a period in time, you should maybe in include a way to measure that time. Maybe? Well, I'm pretty sure the Elibist has trapped them in middle school intentionally as the... <laughs> perfect breeding crowd for child soldiers that's true i do do have a point 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 mm -hmm. an argument against the position that this journal is just entirely fictional oh i don't think it's entirely fictional i think they're just hiding something i'm sorry cassandra are you arguing that the elemis doesn't exist and crayon mm -hmm. doesn't exist Correct. but they did go to a planet halfway across the universe sure and why not fight a battle against a team of Sure. This, this would be the second time that they've just somehow transported yeah, yeah, across you know the galaxy. What? You know what? I actually, I am willing to believe the Z-Space thing with the Lyrans. So, like, there's ways for them to randomly transport halfway across the galaxy. Not like, really, dude. Yeah, they did it before. I'm... In any case, if we're understanding this as fictional, I think there's a question of the motivation of why Jake didn't make himself the one who points out the Nazi comparison. We're talking about an entire species, an entire race being evil. That is impossible. We know that uh, even the Yerks aren't all one way. Um, Which, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with her statement. Because that's there. what Nazis and slave owners and people like that believe, you, that you can just take a whole race or whatever and say they're all this or that. That's never going to be true. For once, I agree with Cassie. 
Like, okay, but they were they were decanted from birth and indoctrinated in ways that are sort of beyond our comprehension as Earth but people. But they're children. They're children. They think they're playing. Yes, very much intentionally. Like, that dialogue resolves with Jake making the argument that actually it is okay to think of specifically the Howlers this way. Yeah. So, if this is a fiction, then that could just be Jake heading off the accusation that this mm. looks like Nazi stuff. Which it does. He does seem to have a taste for justifying war crimes. Regardless of how they operate, we have to assume that Krayak exists because they all disappear at the end. Or maybe they just killed them all and want... Who just killed them all? The Animorphs. Killed all these Howlers when they are, like, hopelessly outmatched against them for the rest of the book? If we're starting from the assumption that the content of this book might be lies, then... Maybe Jake exaggerated the abilities of the Howlers in order to make the case that it's okay for them to be destroyed. Okay, so, like, my my original sort of, like, argument against these being fabricated still stands, which is that if you've got a fabricated account, it throws all of the rest of the stuff into question. Like, all the stuff that actually did happen that you can empirically verify. Like, why would they do it? Like, why would they just lie? Why would they create just an entire journal full of lies if it's going to weaken the rest of their position? Well, but no one no one knows that they're lies. No one knows that they're lies. What do they stand to gain from sprinkling in a bunch of fabricated accounts in with their, like, mostly verifiable, you know? It doesn't make sense for it to be lies. Okay, so if you can verify a bunch of their stuff, then that, like, makes you think, okay, they're probably pretty truthful, truthful and you trust them. But then it's like, so they can just throw in some stuff that you can't verify and be like, oh, you can't verify this because it happened off planet. Um, not because it's a lie, just because it happened off planet when it like is partially or fully made up. And introducing the higher power of the elements allows them to shift autonomy and agency away from themselves. A wizard did it. It, it, like, it makes them less responsible for the things they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, I still grapple. Yeah, I don't know, but also I, what you say about the the sort of like the presumption of authenticity based on the verifiability of the rest of the books does make some sense. I still don't believe that their best attempt, if they were going to falsify some of the stuff, was oh, a giant space alien deity guy just like zapped us across the galaxy because he had a, a thing that he wanted us to do. Like, are we in contact with this planet yet? Uh, no. Not as far as I, I mean, the government might be and we just don't know, but... Are we in contact with Lyra? Which is the other planet that they've been to by I way of the Elemist. So, I think at least the Andalites are. Uh, I just, we gotta, I don't know. I don't, the thing is that they've been presented to us as historical documents and Sir, and, and Professor Bradley is presenting them to us as such as well. But uh, as we, well, as we know, he's got a vested interest in us, you know. Questioning authority. Reading these uh, and, and concerned like at a, like thinking about the broader implications of what's being said and what's not being said so humans do have a long history of attributing their, their own actions to the agency of higher beings it's true we have done this a lot i think it may not be reasonable to doubt that skepticism on the basis that it's a ridiculous way to go about making things up oh jeez Yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah, my last note was just, like, um, that Eric is a really good example of how people who are like, oh, pacifism, let's all be total pacifists, is, like, bad. 
because he's like, oh yeah, you're gonna get murdered, I can't actually help you, because I can't, you know, do anything. It's like people who are like, punching a Nazi makes you just as bad as a Nazi. It's like, no it doesn't. Punch a Nazi. Go off. <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yes. 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 Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Okay, everyone, well, it's been great meeting you, Alan. Yeah, um, thanks for jumping on in. to class discussions sometime, and stay safe, everyone. Stay safe! The Morph Report is now on Patreon. We care a lot about accessibility, and we want to provide transcripts for our podcasts. However, we are not able to keep up with the transcripts ourselves, for much the same reason that we care about accessibility in the first place. To help offset these costs, we have introduced two preliminary tiers on Patreon at a $2 and $5 level, and we are working on more. If you're interested in supporting us so that we can transcribe our episodes and also so that we can pay for our hosting fees on Pinecast, please look us up or follow the link in the episode description or on Twitter. Thank you. Stay safe. Thanks to Noelle Micarelli for the use of their songs Comic Book Girl, off the EP Field Notes from Another Place, and Complicated Spoon. You can find more of their music at noellemicarelli.bandcamp.com. The Morph Report is hosted by Marina Malucci, Scrivener Lamb, and Blythe. You can follow us on Twitter at Morph Report. If you have a question for the Podmorphs, tweet at us or send us an email, and we'll answer it on the show. Our email is themorphreport at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. love the Animorph series? How about podcasts? Do you love podcasts? Well, then listen no further, dear listener, and allow me to introduce the Animorphs podcast directory. Here you'll find an ever-growing list of Animorphs-themed podcasts to sit your every Animorphin desire. Check it out. We'll see you there.